Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast focusing in on teamwork, leadership, and culture. Every week here on the Teamwork Advantage, you know that by listening just a few minutes every single week, we're going to offer you impactful ideas that you can use immediately. And today is absolutely no different. Wow, we've got a phenomenal guest with us today with a background that you're going to love. Jim Knight, he began his illustrious career, believe it or not, at Gatorland Zoo in Florida, He's got the scars to prove it. We'll have to see if he'll show us some of those scars. And by the way, this is one podcast, folks, you're going to want to make sure you come back to, not just listen to, but come back and get the video version of it. You're going to enjoy this one. Uh, He got a music degree, believe it or not, and did a six-year stint as a middle school teacher. Build that with some hospitality training, and next thing you know, he's worked his way up, and we're going to find out how he got there as global training for Hard Rock International for over two decades going to be a powerful thing there. Right now, he teaches organizations of all sizes how to attain their own rock star status. And you guys know me, I'm all about teams that rock. So we've got that synergy thing going for sure. Um, his customized service programs, organizational culture, world-class differentiated service, rock star teams for leaders. Wow, guys, this is going to be a jam-packed session. Strap it on. It's going to be working fast, working hard. Help me welcome Jim Knight. How's it going, Greg? I'm excited to be here. Thanks for that introduction. That's awesome. And oh, I I'm can show you this scar. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see a scar. Let's see a scar here. I'm not sure if you can see it. I'll put it close up, but I've got it right on my knuckle. Yep. The middle one. And that is just from, uh, that one's from a boa constrictor, not necessarily from an alligator. Although when I was working there back in the mid eighties, everybody had some type of a scar from an alligator, a baby one, or a bow constrictor, and, and I got mine from a snake. But uh, yeah, I've got a scar to prove it. Oh, man, you got to love it. Love working those things like that. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how did you get going in this? When you got out of school, did you just decide you wanted to uh, go to Gatorland? Or what, what, was the, what was the process? Yeah, Gatorland was really my first job. I mean, somebody offered me an opportunity. I was driving the little train out there and selling fish. And I got to work in the snack bar and eat some gator meat every day. Uh, But then the real cool thing was going and jumping into this alligator pen, closing the baby alligator's mouths and wrapping some duct tape so that people could hold on to the thing. But also I had to go inside of a pen where there's like five or six boa constrictors and go get those. And you can put that around your neck and take a picture. But it was really just a first job. My real foray, you know, although I would say that's hospitality, when I was at college, when I was getting my music degree, I kind of discovered that to make a living doing that, you really had to be awesome. You had to be a monster just as a performer. And I wasn't. I was okay. But, you know, they say, Greg, those that can't do, they teach. So I became a middle school teacher. I did that for six years. Absolutely loved it. It started off as a substitute teacher and wound up being sort of a disciplinarian, a dean of students of sorts. But I took a summer job at Hard Rock. I mean, that's really kind of how it started. And, and I really did it because, you know, when, when people see the, the visual version of the podcast here, they're going to see my hair goes up. Back then it went down. I didn't, I didn't have spiky hair. I had a two and a half foot long mullet. And so I loved being able to go and work somewhere where they allowed me to look and be and say and do whatever I wanted to do. And it was rock and roll and music blaring in your ears. And 
I, and then I got a chance to travel and open up properties around the world. So I started liking my night job a lot better than my day job as, as a teacher. So that's kind of where it started. I mean, for me, I just fell in love with this awesome culture and these unbelievably crazy, wild, weird people. Some of the most interesting people I'd ever seen on the planet. And I got to hang out with them. So that, that's sort of the, the, the quick version to get me where I am. And I and by the way, I still pull all those levers. I'm still using the music, the education piece, and now the hospitality piece. I've just sort of, it's an amalgamation. You put it all together and I get a chance to go out there and, and live my own brand now, which is fun. So when you're working at Hard Rock and you go through the process working there and then getting involved in the, I guess, the human resources side, the training development side, all of that, as that started to develop, tell me how did that experience there help you build, again, what I refer to as TLC, Teamwork, yeah. Leadership, and Culture, not the Learning Channel and not Tender Loving Care, yes. but Teamwork, <laughs> Leadership, and Culture. Yes. And by the way, a lot of what we do here, and I think you'll agree with me, it's not just for work. It's in every aspect of our lives. Yeah. That, How did that happen? How did that come together? It's a great question. And, uh, and for me, you know, it really is a lifestyle, which I think is kind of what you're alluding to as well. I mean, for me, I did have that educational background. I did love performing, doing community theater, getting my music degree. I just had this natural desire to be in front of people and trying to impact and influence them in some way. But taking the education, the music piece, when I was at Hard Rock, and again, like I said, I started off, I was a host, I was just seating people, then you become a trainer, now you're teaching all of the hosts, then you become a trainer that opens up properties, then I became a manager, and ultimately, as, as people sort of moved off from the brand, and my skills got a lot more sharper, I, I wound up really running training and development, and when you can do that for a global brand, and I'm talking about big, massive monster buildings. The one that I worked in Orlando, it's a it, at that time was the busiest restaurant in the world, doing 42, $43 million a year. So when you work in an environment like that, especially as a manager, as a leader, and you're locking the door up at three, four in the morning and you go, yeah, I ran that thing. Like I, I, I grabbed a hold of that beast and I rode that thing. And it's it's so exhilarating. And oh, by the way, it's a culture that really fit with my value orientation, not just because of the music piece, but because of the values they had in place, the pillars that they have emblazoned on the walls. Some of the smartest people I've ever met who maybe had a bunch of uh, piercings and tattoos and mohawks and crazy hair. And I'm like, boy, there's a different way about running and leading business. So, you know, even from a philanthropic standpoint, I'll just tell you right out of the gate, I'm so different than what I was 25, 30 years ago because of the time that I spent with that brand. So even though I've been gone from them over almost a decade now, those 21 years really just helped solidify my own personal values as the type of person I wanted to be. So you talk about teamwork, people that move at blazing speed, not because they have to, just because they want to. Uh -huh. Their attention to detail, their sense of urgency, looking people in the eye, genuine care, stuff you just... I'm not going to say it isn't prevalent out there. It is hard to find at times, but I think from a teamwork, a leadership, and certainly from a cultural standpoint, for me, there was no better practice field to doing what I'm doing right now. So I will always pay homage to the Hard Rock brand, even though I feel like I'm doing things that are even bigger and broader now. And hopefully I get a chance to impact and influence more people on the planet. Yeah. And you're taking what you've learned from there and putting it into your own model and kind of rebranding it and then putting that out there with other organizations and getting them. I mean, we were talking before we started the interview about you've worked with a lot of military groups too. Yeah. Now, 
Okay, folks, again, I just want to say, spike tear, I'm guessing three, four inches up. Yes, yes. Okay, all right. Uh, you know, so he's, he's there. I mean, going into work with the United States military with this. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, I was very fortunate enough. Uh, I had a person kind of like some of the work you do, Greg. I was doing some team building internally at Hard Rock, but we opened one of my my conferences that were part of the corporate university. I opened it up to the public. So I would have some people that would come through from, let's say, Walt Disney World or Coca-Cola and happen to have a kid that came through. We called him Air Force Matt. He was just, uh, you know, a brand new airman. And um, you fast forward 15, 20 years because of that experience that he had. He loved hard rock. He loved the relationship that he and I had sort of built. He's now a lieutenant colonel. And so he was in charge of the, this training that happens at the Pentagon. And so he asked me to come be involved in the initial training of all the brigadier generals in the Air Force. Now, most people won't know this, but when you're a colonel and you get promoted to brigadier general, you have to do a couple of things. You have to be confirmed by the Senate, but you ultimately also have to go through this two-week training. And it could be, I don't know, about the nuclear codes or why people do dumb things or how they will support Space Force, whatever it is. My culture that rocks leadership session was the first thing in this two-week session. So I was very fortunate to do this at Andrews Air Force Base, which is where they do the uh, the presidential aircraft. and. Mm -hmm really all the leaders of Congress. And you've, you've yep, been right, up there, done some right work outside there. my backyard, but about 20 minutes from my house. Exactly. And you've done some things over at the Pentagon as well. So I was very lucky to get ensconced in that one group. And now I do stuff with the command chiefs and knock on wood, hopefully they'll have me come back every year and do some things. I've been very lucky. And uh, now some of my good friends are some of those, those uh, brigadier generals that are now generals in the Air Force or supporting Space Force. So it's it's been a hoop. But yeah, when they first see this, you know, they see the look. It is probably a little bit of shock and awe, but mm -hmm. as long as you come with some great thunder, some real pushbacks, even though it's edutainment, we're going to have some laughs. They're all- I used to use that phrase, by the way. Yeah, okay. Well, then I need to pay you some royalties, I guess, right? <laughs> I use it all the time. So you probably came up with it initially. I, I, think uh, I used it about 20 years ago, yeah. Hey, I, I called it an edutainer. <laughs> edutainer. That's what I. That's what I feel like I am. I'm an edutainer. Yeah. But I think I think these military folks they uh, they they want to have as many laughs as possible as well. But as long as they can push back from the table and go, that was a great use of my time. I got something meaty from it. Mm -hmm. Then we all win. Yeah, and then they're getting things they can practically use. You know. Yeah. And use it in a very useful way within the military, within any leadership guidelines that they'll carry with them. You know, once they leave the military, then they may go to another branch of the government, they go to private sector, whatever. They they get things they can use. Yeah. And that's well, powerful. So tell me about your your concepts. I think your your the concept that you talk about is real lasting impact. So how how can middle leaders, in other words. Somebody who's just maybe getting into their first level of leadership, frontline leader or middle leaders. Yeah. A lot of people think they cannot have an impact on the culture. Yeah. Now, you and I know that's not true. So that's tell right. us a little bit about how, how you get them to realize that. Yeah. You know, it's probably, Greg, my my number one question that I'll get. If they aren't asking about my hair care products, you know, they're usually saying. We're going to get to that, by the way. Oh, we are. Okay. Yes. All right. I didn't know we'd be talking about that today. <laughs> um, you know, I, I get people that will say. I am either a new up and coming or middle manager, even at the middle manager, which blows my mind. But if they're a leader who is ensconced in the business, who let's say they might not have a lot of real direct reports or they feel they don't have a lot of, of real impact in the business. As you said, we know that they do. 
And I think, you know, I'm, I'm a perfect prime example of that. And I even shared this story in my upcoming book. I go, I, I've worked for a, a person before, a general manager in a restaurant who I was imposed on them. Somebody brought me onto the team and they did not get to decide that I was a part of that. So they put me on the worst shifts. I probably didn't have any real responsibilities. I'm sitting there going, how can I make a difference? Can I make a difference? And the reality is you can do a lot of things, whether it's upward delegation or in lieu of leadership, you lead. I knew that I was going to be running a shift or running a department or whatever on my own. If I'm not going to get any direction from my boss, then I'm just going to do the best that I can. And so I would do an end run around, not in a negative way. I would just say on, mm -hmm. on the time that people around me, they're going to have a great time. They're going to learn something. I'm going to treat them like human beings. I'm going to absolutely just do everything I can to prop them up so that they feel good about themselves, that they're going to keep coming back to the well and doing awesome work, regardless of, right. of that general manager. And ultimately, you outlive that person. That person goes away and I ultimately get promoted and take over that role. That's how it always works in business. Right. And then, of course, if you're lucky, and I use the word lucky here, you take what you've done, teach somebody else, and then they move into your position, you move up, they move up, and now all of a sudden, as John Kennedy used to say, a rising tide raises all ships. Yep, exactly. And that's why I think things like mentorship is just, it's not really used that well. I talk about that more than anything else when it comes to leadership, because you know, I think it's something like I've seen a report lately, 70% of all major leaders, when it's, a, you know, I'm talking about big organizations that have at least $10 million, you know, dollars worth of revenue, which is probably small in a lot of businesses, they will absolutely swear that the reason that they are where they are is because of a mentor and the fact that they are mentoring other people. So, you know, even if you're a middle manager, I think if you seek out a couple of people that are smarter than you inside the business, maybe a couple outside the business, maybe even a, a peer, it could be uh, somebody like a significant other, whoever that is, to give you a little bit of a sounding board is one thing. But then going out of your way to mentor and develop other people, which is what you just said, I, I think it's the greatest accelerant and, and one of the greatest things you could ever do from a leadership standpoint to get you to the next level, whatever that level is. So I'm totally with you on that. So I always talk about mentorship as if you are going to be a mentor, it's kind of like becoming a tutor in college. Yeah. Because yeah. your grades are going to go up because you're reteaching it. Totally. So it makes you stronger. So That's what? Right. Just this is going to be a little off the topic here, but let's let's go down this path. I like it. Um, as a mentor, what is something that it, someone could do as a mentor? And then also let's flip it. And what is something someone who is a mentee, I don't know if that's a real word or not, yeah, um, can do with a mentor to try and strengthen that relationship, make it a better one? Because I think everybody said, oh, I have a mentor, but you know, all they did was just listen to me and complain. So <laughs> yeah. let's, what, what should a mentor do and what should a mentee do? Well, I think it's first probably, uh, you know, it's interesting to think what most companies are doing or not doing. Many of them don't have a mentor program, or if they do, they're not done that well. I, I certainly did not have something like that at Hard Rock. So I had to, on my own, figure it out. And when you start getting into formalized mentor programs, there are some people that believe you match up a person, a mentor and a mentee, no matter what, but we're going to do that for you. There are other schools of thought that you get to pick and choose. It doesn't matter to me, but I, I think to your question, 
in my role, if I was looking for a mentor, as long as we had some guidance in there that the mentor wants to be around me, they want to develop me, not because they're told they have to do it. They want to absolutely do it. You got to have that conversation. There probably needs to be some rules in place, like maybe how often are we going to talk? So we're not taking away a ton of that person's time. Are they email? Are they now Zoom in this era that we can get into video stuff like this? Are they a phone call person? You figure all that stuff out then I don't think there's any rules at all. I think you have that comfortable conversation, but the goal should be, if I'm looking for a mentor, I want someone smarter than I am at something. If they're inside the business, they know the business. I love that, that maybe I don't even want to talk about this with my boss or certainly not with my team. I got somebody that I can run over to, bounce ideas off of, let them talk me off the ledge, give me a little bit of information. What would help me making a better decision if I'm going to be, let's say, in front of some executives, I got to change your mind. So I love that mentor that's inside. It might be a little bit different, somebody that's outside that has nothing to do with the business. And the conversation might be different. It's Here's what I'm thinking about. What do you think? You know, what would blow up my career negatively or positively? And then I, you know, don't, don't skirt the ones that are just a friend, or like I said, it could be your spouse, your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whatever it is, uh-huh. just getting a, a feel from them could be a mentor. I am all about finding as many people smarter than I am. So I can put more arrows really in the quiver. The second part of your question though, I think is, I love the fact that there's such a thing in my mind as a reverse mentor. So the mentee, that word that you use, I could absolutely be developing somebody to get them, let's say, like you and I talked about earlier, starting a podcast or starting to write a book, somebody who wants to be a speaker. We have people that come to us about these things all the time. During the process of even mentoring them on a skill set or a career or a hope or fear or whatever it is. There will be something that happens during that relationship that you're going to learn something about yourself. You're going to learn from them if you get open-minded and you don't take that, you know, my way or the highway, or I'm the, I'm all that, or I'm a lot smarter. You're going into this as I want to be open-minded to help this person out, but, oh, you know what? I might actually change my mind about something that was a a part of my life forever. So, you know, I, I know those are broad concepts, but I think if you go open-minded and think I got somebody helping me and I'm helping somebody else. You can't help but be developed. I just don't believe that you're going to sit there and be the same that you were a year ago, two years ago, or whatever it is. Well, we've got to constantly be evolving. Totally. There's there's an expression I've used for years is if you're not growing, you're dying. That's right. Change your diet. It's plain and simple. You cut the rose off the the bush. The instant that thing stops growing, stops being fed, it's going to die. That's right. That's right. And we've got to make sure of that. I'll use some hardcore sobering language around people that don't want to change. They don't want to evolve. And it's not the change or die that you hear. I, I'll say things like, listen, if you hate change, you're really going to hate extinction. It's not fun not being around, you know? So you, it's the one thing that we can guarantee death, tax, right. but change is going to happen. It's inevitable. So you may as well lean into it, maybe get in front of it. Maybe you can control the change. We, we could talk about how to manage and be a, a change catalyst all day long, but there are just too many people that are just scared to death. They don't want to evolve. And you know what? It's going to evolve around you. And you're, oh, yeah. There's, you're I, it, I you're love that. I love your expression. I'll repeat that expression real fast. Yeah. If you hate change, you're really going to hate extinction. Yeah. The other one I've often used is the train is leaving the station. Are you going to get on or wipe it goodbye? Yes. One of the two. One of the two. So, so your book, Leadership That Rocks. Yes. Okay? Tell us a little bit about that, where that came from, how that's, how that's changed things. And obviously, we're in an era of pandemic right now. Yeah. Are things changed because of that? 
It has. So, so my first book, which was uh, Culture That Rocks, uh, you know, when I wrote this thing, I was really doing it the last couple of years working at Hard Rock because I just, you know, fell madly in love with that culture. But as you and I get a chance to do, as we speak and work with other businesses, I just, I, I really noticed a lot of other companies that were doing a fantastic job. So my business culture crushes really just came to fruition. I said, I'm going to put that in a book and some of it's storytelling, a little bit of autobiographical, but that book, which is, a, it's a hardcover book. It's color, it's heavy, it's a pain in the butt. And I wrote it about eight, nine years ago. I decided to deconstruct that, to take the main pillars out of it that I was really focusing on. Uh -huh. So leadership, leadership that rocks is going to be that first book that comes out in May. But then the next year I'll have service that rocks. The one after that will be engagement that rocks, which talks about employee engagement. Those three really tenants for me, when you put them together, make up the essence of my first book around culture. And the reason that I'm talking about this is because it, it isn't just another leadership book. It is still in the vein of how do I create and maintain and, and amp up or maybe perhaps revolutionize a company culture. So, you know, you asked the question earlier, it really is written more for new up and coming, maybe middle leaders, not necessarily at the CEO level. If they love that, it's probably that he or she will take it and share it with their teams. But it really is for the lower manager more than anything right. else. But from that book, it's all these elements that I thought, what would absolutely help a leader out today in effectively amping up their company culture? And it could be like we were just talking about, how do I manage change? How do I deal with that? How do I be a culture catalyst and deal with change that's going to happen? Especially how can in the I pandemic world? especially in the pandemic world. So to your point, a lot of the virtual sessions that I might be doing or some of them in person, they are now coming out of the pandemic. People are going back to work as they open up. It's been perhaps a year and a half, maybe for some, it's going to be two years. What does that culture look like now? As a leader, how do I manage teams from a distance? This mentorship we talk about, how is that going to happen? How can I really instill great, awesome work ethic? So I don't focus a lot on the pandemic. I focus on what will come after that, but mm -hmm. the learnings are absolutely going to be there. And I just think about all the different things that a leader could do. I, you can't get it all in there. There's millions of books on leadership. Mine is, what are maybe the six, seven, eight things as a leader that I could do as a new manager in leading a great culture? How can I leave it better than the way that I found it? And whether I got a few responsibilities or ultimately, if I do my job right, my values are gonna be instilled that when I do get a chance to run the joint, it's gonna be fantastic because I got that early on in my career. That's the goal. That, you know, it's great because there's so many books that are out there and there are so many people speaking on it about what to do in the leadership role yeah. and where you are when you're you know up there and you've got some control or some clout to pull. You're actually hitting it where it's okay, early on in the stages. And that is so impactful to yeah. think about because we got to get the people where they understand it today. And let's face it, it has changed. Okay, you go back five years, there's a drastic change with things. Okay, yeah. the level of trust has had to exponentially grow yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah. And that, that gets to be the tough part. So as they start to do that, how do we do that? So the pandemic has shaped us it's never, I don't think, going to go back to the exact way that it was. No. And no. so we have to be able to grab bits and pieces from the pandemic era. We have to grab bits and pieces from the previous era and mold them into something new for moving out of the pandemic. 
Well, and to your point, a lot of these businesses might not ever go back to being in person. Like some of them have figured out whether it's a hybrid or they're going to work virtually. So that's a whole different animal, right? So as a well, leader, some of my clients have already closed down, given up the leases on their offices. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. But 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 they still want to hold on to the culture. They still have, you know, there's got to be some brand affinity for their consumers. How do I do all that stuff instead of a physical brick and mortar? How do I do that distance space? So, you know, I don't have so much of that in the book as I do when I'm doing a lot of the virtual conversations. Um, you know, I, I really spend some time with different teams, different leaders having those exact conversations because they haven't figured that out. Mm -hmm. It isn't the cool break room and the ping pong table and the, and the corporate dog and whatever, whatever you want to come up with. Now, how do I get my people who I've got to trust that they're actually doing the work fall madly in love with me, that they're not just going to jump ship and go somewhere else for a little bit more money. You got to figure out this part right here. So, so what's know, the first thing you would tell somebody to do there? Well, I would say, number one, you've got to figure out a way to have some constant communication. And the communication doesn't mean necessarily weekly Zoom calls, although I wouldn't be opposed to that. I think you absolutely, every once in a while, depending on the size of your team and how your infrastructure is in place, there's got to be a boss, a leader, somebody, an executive, a founder, whoever, that is communicating with individuals. How you doing? Checking up on you. That Are you kidding me? The boss cares about me that I'm not just a number? Again, you get into hundreds or thousands of people, it gets a little bit different, but but we'll figure that out. Mm -hmm. But I would say having general communication like this, I would say figuring out where the newsletter maybe wasn't that big of a deal back then. Now it's probably more important where you're pumping out information. The more that I can share, 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 so people aren't in the dark, I think is a really big deal. And every once in a while, having some fun. If you were to bring in a speaker like you or me or somebody that is free to the organization, but there's probably a little bit of money that's being spent at the top, boy, does that make a difference. I'm getting education. I'm getting the right equipment. Someone's talking to me. If I could just do those two or three things, I got a pretty good shot of people going, I'm not leaving somewhere else, even for an extra dollar an hour. Wouldn't matter to them. Right. You know, what you're talking about there is going is uh, goes back to, oh, my gosh, what, 40 years ago, Ken Blanchard. Yeah, of course. Use the phrase M-B-W-A. Yes. Management by wandering around. Yes. And then over the years, or excuse me, managed by walking around. Yeah. Over the years, it became managed by wandering aimlessly because all the leaders were doing was just this and they weren't doing anything. Yes. But making the contact with them is the key part. It because is. that's going to help build trust. That's going to allow openness. It's going to allow people to have great dialogue around ideas. Yeah. Well, you bring up a great point too. I mean, it's not, this, this wasn't a problem if people already knew that. In my world in hospitality, you have to move around. That's the key is you're doing so much movement and figure eights to reach as many people as possible. When you get into a virtual world, that management by walking around, you know, and, and for some of us, it probably is wandering around. How do you do that virtually? So yeah. you've got to figure out some systems. Exactly. In place. And if you do that, I think you're going to win. And, and here's the thing. My, my good business partner, Brant Menswar, talks about it all the time. He's got his own, you know, analytic tool that he uses that he has discovered that the number one thing that people want today more than anything else is connection. And so as people are coming out of this pandemic world, they're going to be scrambling going, I want to be connected. They might not say that out loud, but they do. They want that human touch, you know, whether it's virtual or in person. So I don't think it's any different from a distance. I think we might be virtually done. I mean, there are people that are just finished. They're, they're, they're just too much Zoom meetings, but. Right. General, but again, the, the key word you used was connection. Yeah. But let's be clear. We're not talking about 
10,000 connections on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or anything else. We're talking about true connection, connectivity, where there's people talking with people. That's right. And we didn't create that. That's been around for a long time. It's Absolutely. Just and that's one of the things I've noticed through the pandemic era. I've had several friends doing, you know, their book club meetings, drinking wine over Zoom. Yes. Okay. Yes. And that's the way they're staying connected that way. Nothing so that wrong. Can, that can be done, but again, doing it the right way. Yeah. You know, and it's the right way to fit your culture because what works in one culture may not work in another culture. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, everybody's got to figure that out. And again, I think the it reminds me of watching kids that are trying to do the distance based learning from schools. And again, I'm not stomp. I, I was a middle school teacher. I believe in public education. I want to support it. But oh my gosh, have I now seen the really awesome, great teachers that you and I probably loved. If they were in a virtual environment, they would probably still be great. The really great ones are doing so much more participatory, fun, cool things online. The ones that were horrible before, boy, do they show themselves now. They suck even worse. And so it's really tough. You know, if you can do this thing right from a communication standpoint, and again, it's going to be different for different companies. You said that best. Oh, yeah. But when you find your, your, your sweet spot and you can connect with people, I think they're going to stick around longer. I, I even think about these virtual wine tastings, like you said, boy, did they make a killing off of this last year? They had to have, because yeah. that's the new thing right now. Why yeah. wouldn't you want to do that? Yeah, it's interesting because I've always said, even before a pandemic ever came on, I'm talking 15 years ago, when teleworking was the new little hot buzzword, you know, one day a week and managers didn't feel like, I can't let them telework. I, look, yes. I said to him, I said, look, if you've got a great worker, they will be a great teleworker. That's right. If you've got a bad worker, they're going to suck at teleworking. No matter. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so that's, we're right there right now finding that out. And it's so amazing to watch it all grow. Yeah, I agree. I, mean, I agree. I mean, we're, we're at, we're at a, a precipice or we're going to see change galore in the next probably 24 to 48 months. Yeah. You know, two to four years is just, the workplace is going to be totally different. Well, you know what? And I, I hope the ones that lean into it and go, it's going to be different and we're okay with that, but my values aren't going to change. I'm still going to look for rock star employees. It probably makes my job a lot easier because I want to be a part of that process. I want to help mm -hmm. people out, get to the promised land, whatever their nirvana looks like, I can help them get there. And I guarantee you, and you already know this too, with your TLC model, it's all predicated on human behaviors. This yes. is about the right people. You get the right people involved and that's everything. From recruiting, interviewing, hiring, training, developing, communicating, rewarding, recognizing, whatever, you yeah. name it, you get that part right, all the rest of the stuff, the product and first to the market and all that stuff, whatever, it's all nice. That's gravy. You but get the fall into place. Right. It's going to be unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. And now you're back to Jim Collins's book, what, 2012, Good to Great. Sure. Chapter three was first two, then what? Get the right people on the bus and get them in the right seats. That's right. That's right. And that hasn't changed. Not at all. The tough part is... Again, with students, especially those students today getting ready to go to college, okay, how do they present themselves? How, how can they do it? So do you have a quick tip that you might share with somebody about getting a job in, in today's environment and a culture? Is there something they can do differently because you just can't walk in and hand over a resume anymore. It's just not that simple. And yeah. forget about just having it online because unless you've got the right keywords, they're not going to find you. Yeah, I might think a little bit differently about that part. You know, what I'm starting to find is, and I'm looking to hire more people in my own organization, there are a lot of companies who are struggling finding people. And it might be just right now because there are 
I hate to say this, but people are making a little bit more money on unemployment right now than having to go out and get a job. But the really good ones, the ones that want a job that are getting in front of that, the rock stars, you know, a rock star can always get another gig. It's not a problem for them. So I would be open. I'd be hunting. I'd be on the march as an employer. I'm going the opposite direction first. I would be on the hunt looking for these people, whether it's applications, resumes, CVs, or when I'm out and about in eating, drinking, shopping, playing, staying, wherever it is, I'm going to try and find that person and coerce them, maybe play some Jedi mind tricks to get them to come and work for me. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. And and we should never stop doing that. But as, as somebody that you just said, if you're a student and you're looking for a job, I think there's never been another time that you get to pick and choose where you want to work. I firmly believe that. I believe that if I'm worth my weight and salt, if I have a great work ethic, if I can absolutely both ride the, the, you know, just walk the line of being humble and bringing the thunder, figure out both of those. I bet you I could pick any brand and go and present myself and probably get a gig. Now, if I've never had a job before, someone's got to take a chance on me. But if I was already emblazoned like that, if I've already had a summer job somewhere, I've got one or two of these in my belt. I'm hoping that that's going to help me at least get my foot in the door. And as soon as that happens, it's off to the races. So I have never, ever believe more than ever before than right now, if you're a great rock star employee, you got your pick of the litter and it's not going to be a problem for you to get a gig. Now I say that out loud coming out of college, still a little bit tougher. I have another friend of mine that does that. He's got an entire college to career program where I bet you he almost guarantees 85, 90% if they follow the process, will get a job in their, in their study, whatever, whatever they went to college for, which is unheard of. It's just finding out how to present yourself and so many people today still haven't, quote, found themselves. Yeah. And so, you know, trying to find themselves and become that rock star is, is the challenge for some people. You know why that is, uh, Greg? I, I, again, I'm a believer. I'm not sure everybody agrees with me. I think everything is learned human behavior. You oh, learn absolutely. Absolutely. From your friends, your parents, school, religion, lack of religion, the playground, whatever it is. By the time you come to me as a 19, 20 year old kid wanting a job, you either have the natural disposition to smile and have a good personality and a good work ethic and you want to be around other humans or you don't. And if you don't, that's cool, but you can't fake it. You can't fake it for so long. So I think these people, again, I probably hang my hat more on parents than anything else. Oh, yeah. You are the way you are by the time you get to a certain age. And so I, I just, I, I feel for people who haven't been through that before. They haven't been taught that before. They haven't had a lot of that education. Public education isn't doing a lot of that anymore. So it is a little bit of a struggle. I'll give you that. But I swear, if they're really good people out there, Yep. They can go wherever they want to work. I believe yep. it. Absolutely. They can. They just got to figure out how to show it and make it right. That's right. That's yeah. right. And that's powerful. Wow. We've covered a lot in here, but I do want to hit a couple of other quick little topics. If sure. we could. Um, you know, you're all about rock. So first off, what's your favorite rock song? Man, my favorite rock song probably of all time, even though I would bet some people think it's a little bit soft rock is Eagles. You know, when I think about Hotel California, uh, I just, the, the Eagles from a vocal standpoint, and again, here's the music major coming out. I love when there's harmony and keyboard and all of that. So probably that song is probably my favorite of all time, but uh, I listen to so much music there. I, I could put a playlist of a thousand songs and I would just dig every one of them. Not mm-hmm. kind of love every one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely with you on the Eagles in that aspect. And of course, I'm still a huge Bohemian Rhapsody fan. Oh, yeah, of course. Well, okay. and that song, there you go. Harmony, left and right, like 20. And it's their own harmonies. 
Yes. They recorded yes. themselves and how the production of that was done in 1976 is just yes. amazing. Yes. That, so that favorite movie. artist? You know, my favorite artist, I, I'll pick one that I like right now called The Struts. I, I'm loving everything that they're doing. They're kind of the new thing uh, in the land of rock and roll. But if I really have to go back, I'm a prog rock guy. So I grew up on progressive rock. Yes, Genesis, GTR, Rush. Rush is probably my all-time favorite. Um, it's tough to say that in some circles. If somebody were to ask me in front of a bunch of people, they might not even know that band. I wind up probably going with U2 because, you know, they're the biggest band on the planet. But Rush, and right behind it, yes. Again, a lot of harmonies. Oh, Roundabout is an amazing harmonies. Yes. Yeah. You see, yeah. and I go down the lines of the old uh, band Chicago with their horns and how okay. they used horns to make harmony. Sure, yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah, that's great. You know, you know, something like that, Blood, Sweat and Tears, the horn sections, you know, Earth, Wind and Fire, all of those, a little showy, but they, they came across. And so we're the same rock and roll era. I got your vibe. I got it. I like yeah. it. Yeah. I'm all about having fun in music here. There's a new genre of music. Have you heard called trop rock? No. What is that? Trot rock? Trop. T-R-O-P. Trop. Nope. What is it's it? It's about, if it makes you think of a beach, a boat or a bar. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be more like yacht rock. I've heard that. No, before. no, it's a little more progressive than that. It's okay. it's a little Jimmy Buffett, but it's also Avid Brothers and things of that nature. Okay, that kind of come into play. So that might be. So if you said Avid Brothers, like Nickel Creek is probably one of my yeah. all time favorite bands. Yep, you know, yep. That, they're great. Good feel. Yeah. So uh -huh. it's a whole different thing there. It's just great how that starts to come together. And I mean, we've talked with Keaton Simons on the podcast before about creating music and coming into for a collaboration. So that's powerful. Yeah, so I'd that. be remiss. People have been watching now. We want to know what product do you put in your hair? <laughs> yes. So I use something called got to be glued. Um, people out there have probably seen it. it's in a yellow container, a little squeeze tube. You can get it at whatever Walgreens, Walmart, CVS. But when you squeeze this stuff out, it looks, smells, and feels exactly like Elmer's glue. Like when you were in your playground, you know, in elementary school, it's the same consistency. I can put my hand together and you see the strands of glue coming across. Yep. So yeah, when I, uh, I get out of the shower, I towel dry. By the time I get on my clothes, it's the perfect dampness. I just lean over and pull my hair with all of that glue and it stays all day long. And I could probably have my hair like this for two, three days before it gets, I don't know, too fuzzy and out of control. So yes, believe it or not, Greg, that's one of my, my first questions, like I said, more than some of the middle manager stuff that we talked about. <laughs> All right, as we get ready to wrap up, I want to ask you a quick question about your podcast. You've got one podcast now, and I understand you're getting ready to launch a couple on your own as well. Tell us briefly about that. Yeah, so the one, thank you so much for that. Our first podcast is called Thoughts That Rock. Uh, I do it with my business partner, Brant Menswire. We've had it for about two years. We really only ask guests one question. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? And then we allow the, the show to sort of take a life of its own. It's also about a half hour long, but you know, we don't do any long interview styles where it's an hour, hour and a half. We're not doing a ton of background. We love, even when they're big celebrities, you know, we've had Scott Kelly, the astronaut and Soledad O'Brien and, you know, people that are in the sports world that have come to us and we just ask them the one question. And so it makes it a really easy barrier for them to come in and talk about the one thing. But we'll get to their book, their company, their branding, whatever it is. The, the two new podcasts we're going to do is part of my book marketing company, which is right now called Bookstar PR. So we'll have one called Bookstars which will be, in my mind, the rock stars of the publishing world. Some of them will be authors or publishing houses or hybrids or just people that are affiliated with authorship. 
And the other one, which is going to be very unique, is called Binder. And Binder is the book dating podcast. So the word is really an amalgamation of books and grinder and, and uh, you know, like eHarmony and Match. All of the questions that we ask, the 10, 11 questions are all the exact same questions that you would ask on an online dating site. And so the author will come on and play the part of the book and we will ask some specific questions and, and hopefully make a match between the book and the people that are listening. So, oh, so that will be guaranteed to get a date afterwards. That's the question. You get a date with the book. You don't, you don't marry the book. You date the book. Absolutely. You, know, you pass it on to somebody else. So yeah. it's the book dating podcast. So binder will be the new thing coming out probably in mid to late April. Awesome. Yeah. Be sure to look it up wherever you listen for podcasts, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Pandora, any of those places are all going to have the podcast. Yep. Um, you know, again, Jeff, it's been awesome having you on board here. Uh, with the teamwork advantage, Thank teamwork, you. leadership, and culture. We, we're very symbiotic in that aspect about things, yeah. whether we're providing uh, true customer service, internal service, teamwork, working in a manufacturing plant, working with your high school basketball team. It yeah. doesn't matter. The concepts are all the same. No doubt. And again, hey, Jim, thanks very much for joining us here on the Teamwork Advantage. I appreciate it. My pleasure. I had a blast. Thank you so much, Greg. Right. Rock on. Yeah, rock on. You know, every week on the Teamwork Advantage, we offer you impactful ideas that you can use immediately. Until next week, remember that having a good day is just being average. And when you listen to the Teamwork Advantage, we know you're not average. So until next week, when you join us here on the Teamwork Advantage, be sure to make it an excellent and exceptional day. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.